Turn with me this morning in your copy of Scripture to two passages. If you will, just go ahead and, uh, and grab one of our Bibles that are on your row. It should be one there in the basket. And um, just, if you will, turn with me to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus 9, that's right up at the front end of your Bible. And then I want you to go to that towering theological epistle in the New Testament, Romans. Romans chapter 12. We've already heard one reading from our lectionary reading of, from Romans. We are going to hear another one this morning, just two verses. Leviticus 9 and then sort of... If you will, stick your finger in uh, the Romans section and we're going to read Leviticus first and then we'll turn right over to Romans 12. See these words on the page, not just as the words of men, but of God. Romans 9 and then we're going to drop down to 22 through 24. Then Aaron lifted his hands toward the people. And blessed them, and he came down from offering the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord, and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And then if you'll flip to the Romans reading in chapter 12, starting with verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you, I thank you for your holy word. (laughs) This word that you inspired and that you have given to us, the church. May we live by it. May we understand it so that we can obey it today, we pray. In your name, amen. To be nominal, which is where we've been for the past uh, four weeks, nominal no more. To be nominal is to be something in name only, not in reality. It is to say one thing and to be another. To claim something that is not lived out. It's the epitome, really, of hypocrisy, which none of us really like. Yet many times we find it at work in us, deep within an identity crisis, a crisis of character, 
a nominalism that is at work in us. And it happens quick sometimes. Brothers and sisters, let us not be Christian in name only. Jesus is worth more than that, isn't he? He's paid for more than that. He has provided for more than that. More than a title, but rather a way of life. The way of life. And we get the best of both worlds, really, in Christianity. We get the title, yes. He justifies us. And we also get the reality. He calls us sons and daughters, and He can make us look like Him. Act like Him. He not only declares we're in the family as a rebellious child, but then he makes us into an obedient child. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is all he's offering. There is no other game in town. There is nothing else to eat from his table but the whole gospel. The whole good news. And yet, that doesn't excite a lot of us. And at times, we're not excited by this transformative invitation. Why? I think it's because we don't really believe it. It comes out of our mouth. It's in our head. It's what we think of ourselves... But at the end of the day, it is not lived out in our body, in our family, in our relationships, and ultimately not in reality. We never were called to be statues, were we? No. No, we're not called to be hermits. We're not called to be monks who retreat. And circle the wagons, but rather to be in the world, but not of the world. And so it falls on deaf ears, blind eyes, a paralyzed body, and oftentimes what we find a numb mind. Brothers and sisters... This must not be so. We have more than this in Christ Jesus. He has provided more than that. More than a weak gospel. He doesn't just give us a title. He gives us ears to hear. He gives us eyes to see. Ears and eyes of faith. A body to serve God and others not the self. No, we're not called to be paralyzed, but instead powered by the Holy Spirit of God. Not just baptized with water and given a certificate, but rather baptized with the Holy Spirit and 
fire. Our minds renewed. The mind of Christ in us. Taking every thought captive by the Spirit. Friends, let us believe that kind of gospel today. Because that is the only gospel there is. Let's stop playing around with our life and the lives of others. Warren Wiersbe, he said, the Christian life is not a playground. It is a battlefield and we must be on our guard at all times. Doesn't mean we can't have fun as brothers and sisters, but we must remember we are in a war. A war for our souls. A war for those precious children's souls. For my children's souls. My wife. My family. And in the rhythm of life, there are times of rest and there are times of play and there are times of work, serious times, lighthearted times. And I love them all, truly. But it is high time for us to get serious, especially when there's an attack. And those of you who pray in our midst know. There is an attack. It's a strategic attack. It's an attack upon the unity of the church. It's an attack upon the hearts of the people that God wants to use to reach your neighborhood, my neighbors. It's an attack upon my heart, my family. There are times in the church's calendar, just as it was in Israel's calendar, of celebration. And there are also times of fasting. We must not be of the mindset to always and only be feasting every week. This is not what we are called to. There will be a day, trust me. (laughs) Thanks be to God. I think there's going to be raw oysters that day and crawfish etouffee. And everything else you can imagine, seafood, I think the Crystal Sea is a little murky on one side just for that reason. Because those things don't grow in clear water. They grow in bayous. But there will be a day when we can sit down and we can enjoy and celebrate forever and feast and relax. But it is not this day. It's not this day. And our money sometimes tricks us into thinking it's time to celebrate, to kick back and relax, when in fact, it's time to get to work. We're called to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to go all in. And the best way to overcome nominalism is to go all in. That's really what not being nominal is, is that you actually are doing what you're saying. There's not a divorce between your act and your being, between what you say and what you do, but instead there's a union. This is what Christ has called us to. 
In Leviticus, God is setting up the sacrificial system. And I, I'll just be honest with you, I'm so glad that I live in the 2000s. Like, I'm, I'm happy about that. I really am. I like air conditioning. I like media. Like, I like all that stuff, you know. You know I'm not really into slaughtering animals. Like, I mean, that's just not my thing. I don't know that I would have been a good priest. Um, and so here God is doing something in the Old Testament that thankfully we don't have to do anymore. And I, of all people, am very thankful for this. Because I today don't have to take a young bull. I'm not talking about some little pipsqueak animal. A young bull. And slaughter that thing and cut it up into pieces and put the fat over here and the blood over there and spray blood on you and on the altars. If you read it, this had to be done. Why? Because you sinned. Because I sinned. Before I could ever do yours, if I was a priest, I had to do mine. Don't ever think when you come here and you hear a word from me... That I haven't already done the repenting. I'm the first one to hit the floor. You say, man, that, that kind of hurts, dude. You know what? It hurt when it first come out, too. And was downloaded down. And sometimes I can't communicate everything that I want to. And I want it to be wrapped in love. And I hope you know that I love each and every one of you. And yet... Because I love you, I know there's more. I know there's more. Like any good coach, I would not just want to pat you on the back and say well done when it's not well done. Any more than I would any of my children and lie them into a lie. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. And I won't. And God doesn't do it to us, does he? He says, for the ones that I love, I chasten. Kind of an old word, but I discipline. Lovingly discipline them. Leviticus is really about how to walk with God. So in other words, God says, look, <laughs> I delivered you from Egypt. Like, you're in slavery. You can't even do what you want to do. You can't worship me. They couldn't. They didn't have time. They're under slavery. And God delivers them. And Egypt is always this picture in the Old Testament of sin. God delivers them from the old way of life. Being a slave. Slave to sin. Doesn't Paul pick up, this, pick up on this in his letters? He absolutely does. But delivers us to what? He doesn't deliver us just so we can happy-go-lucky get lost in the desert. As the generation did and died. But rather, he says, I want you to be my people. I want to be your God. You down with that? Notice the order. He first delivers them, then asks them to walk with him. We as Christians ought not to demand that the world walk with Christ like him, expecting morality of them. They can't until they're delivered. It's our job to go share the deliverance of Christ with them. Not to judge them from out in these walls. They're already expecting that. 
No, to love them and say, look, you don't have to continue to live like this. He can deliver you and then you can walk in his ways. There's many people who are trying to walk in his ways without the deliverance. You're still enslaved. I've got good news. Christ wants to deliver you and he has the authority to. And he has the power to. Because he himself has secured that authority and power, we are told. And so Leviticus is about how to walk with God. And you say, well, that's kind of, yeah. It's a weird way to walk with God. Well, God's trying to remind them that he's not them. His ways are not our ways. But he's inviting them that they can be. That they ought to be our ways. But he has to do it by blood because sin costs something. The wages of sin, the payment for sin, the salary for sinning is death. It always has been. And as that blood was sprinkled there and the calf was sacrificed for sin offering, then it says specifically that a ram was brought for the burnt offering. It's almost as if God said, okay, I've got your justification, your forgiveness of sins with the young bull for the sin offering. But then I want you to go deeper than just having your sins forgiven. I hope you never hear me preaching a gospel that ends with the forgiveness of sins, with no life change, because it is not what we believe, not only at this church, but in Methodism, not only in Methodism, but within the church worldwide. It is not the gospel to stop at forgiveness of sins. There must be a transformation in reality or else we remain nominal. So he offers us justification. He offers us sanctification. Isn't this what John was referring to? John the Baptist the voice crying in the wilderness, when he says there is one coming who is greater than me, he doesn't just baptize for the forgiveness of sins and repentance, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. Did you notice in our reading, without rereading it, did you catch it in chapter 9 of Leviticus that after they offer all of this, they go and bless the people, they go to the tent of meeting, And God sends his fire out and consumes the burnt offering. And the people go, ah, they shout, it says, and then they fall on their face. (laughs) When's the last time we fell on our face before God? It's all right to lay down and pray, to drive and pray, to, you know, pray wherever. You should. You must. But... When's the last time we went face down? Because we really understood who we were dealing with. The scripture says he's an all-consuming fire. And yet, he asks us to come in. You know, we've stacked up, uh, before at a church bonfire, we've stacked up two very old Christmas trees. And we set them afire. 
And it was fantastic. The flames were, it was nuts. But I guarantee it would have taken everything in you to make yourself stand very close to that. Our natural reaction is, whoa, because, I mean, it's literally feels like it's burning your face off. And yet God says, I'm a consuming fire. Come on in. Come on in. Because it's the same fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into and didn't come out smelling like smoke and were not physically burned, but instead purified. It's what he's offering to us is to burn away the dross. And what he wants remain. What stands to remain. I have a place in my home office where I keep certain things that come to me in the mail, and it's all these periodicals from Charter. Uh, And so they send me almost weekly, like a letter or bi-weekly, a little, I don't know, plastic advertisement saying, hey, you can have some great internet. You can, you can get this fantastic, and I just have a stack of it. No joke, it's about this big now. I just stick it in there. I don't throw it away. Stick it in there. Because it reminds me that I can't have it. <laughs> I actually can't get there. They're, I've called them. I've begged them to come. Trust me. The other company is tough. First world problem. And I have a whole stack there, and every time I look at it, I think, wow. The world offers us a lot of things that we really can't have, you know? They promise a lot of, I mean, it comes in nice periodicals. It comes all the time at us. But we, we can't have it. But this, a purified heart, the brilliance of God in you, His sanctifying power in your actions, the renewing of your mind, the transformation of your heart, quite frankly, a new heart. That is something that God is offering and he's ready to do it today. He's, ready to, he's more ready to do it than we are to ask. It's okay to come to God out of fear, fear of going to hell or whatever else in times of trouble. It's okay, but we cannot remain there. Fear may be the beginning of wisdom. It is not the end of wisdom. For we know the wisdom of God is the spirit of God. Who is ours in Christ Jesus. No, he doesn't want us to be cold. He wants us to be hot. Burning. You know, love always is, is sort of represented by red and sort of fire, you know. I mean, if you go back to some of the mythological uh, pictures of the idols and all that kind of stuff, they're always, you know, he's Cupid shooting a, what, arrow of fire. Why? Because love's like that. You just can't control, man. When you love somebody, you just can't control. I mean, that little girl of mine, again, I hate to bring her up again, but I mean, I just, I want to... Ah, you know, I can't contain myself sometimes. Of course, my wife and everybody else too, okay? It's all right. I love them as well. I have a flame for them. But 
fire? Do we, do we really, are we really burning on fire for Jesus? I mean, you know, if not, you might be nominal. I mean, again, I'm not trying to throw punches. I don't know. I really don't know. I honestly don't. Like, you know, people might think sometimes, oh, yeah, you know, he's preaching that because he, I promise you, I don't, don't. He doesn't want us to be partial. He wants us to be consumed. <laughs> he doesn't want us to be contaminated. He wants us to be pure in our love for God and for others. There's so much contaminated love, isn't it? Fake love. Angling for this or that or trying to position ourselves in places of power. Not really loving somebody. When they're, being, when they're mad at you, looking past that to the person. That's purity of love. Not wanting to respond. Holding your tongue. Read James, man. Dude's all over it. It's hard to hold the tongue, though, because we know we're right. And how wrong are we sometimes? It's a humbling thing. And, you know, anyway, I don't even know if I want to say that, but I don't want to be contaminated. I don't want to be contaminated. I want to be pure. And if I've offended you, you let me know. I don't mind, I promise you, I don't mind asking for your forgiveness in God's because I've done it before and it wasn't the last time. It wasn't the first time. And you know what? I'm willing to do that because I care about you and I care about others and I care about what God cares about. Although he doesn't ever mess up, I know I do. I know I have my shortcomings. You know it. And I know it. That's the unfortunate thing about being on display in front of people. And yet, he wants us to be on display, doesn't he? He calls us to be. Don't hide it under a bushel. Light it up. Be lit up for Jesus. I had to look up that term, lit. It actually has a long history. It used to mean sort of under the influence of alcohol. Then it meant excitement for a while in the early or mid-1900s. And then now it's back again in rap music and stuff to meaning under the influence of alcohol again. But we are to be, are we not, under the influence of the Spirit? Wasn't this the accusation brought against those who came out of that upper room after meeting with the Holy Spirit and fire, tongues of fire, the wind blowing through all of that garbage? All the ins and outs of angling to get ahead of this person or that goes out the window. And they come out unified in the spirit. And people say, man, it's only 9.30 in the morning. These people are drunk. They're crunk. They're lit. No, they're under the influence of the spirit of God. Oh, Lord, give me that sort of influence not the praises of men, but the praises of God. Not to be false, but to be true. Not to be dim, but to be brilliant with His light. 
like the Israel of old, we must have the light of God in our midst, in this church. This is not a human act. It is a God act. I can't bring it on. You can't bring it on. But we can ask for him to do it. And what he sa- this is just what he says. He says, you ask it, I'm going to do it. The faith is contagious. It always has been. It's always meant to be lit up and passed on around. Did you catch? Once he lit that fire, later on in Leviticus, they're told, never let that fire go out. Keep it burning. Keep it burning. And we, as Christians, are not to let the fire go out, but instead to catch fire and then catch others on fire for Jesus. I mean, did you see my precious son? I mean, because of a story of Pastor Andy at church camp. Speaking about a time in his life that was tough, losing his dad. He asked God for a sign. God doesn't give him a sign. He says, okay, you're Lord. The next day, God gives him a sign. And my little Baylor took that as a sign to believe in God. He already believed in God, but you heard him. He had trouble. Sometimes I I didn't. Didn't believe he was really there. But because of the testimony of somebody else, when have we told the testimony of what God is doing, someone else needs to hear that? It's not for you. I got to speak it because somebody needs to hear it. So they can be warmed with faith. I don't know. I can't teach and all that. You, don't, you have to love. Very different. Teachers are normally boring people. But lovers? Oh no. There's nothing boring about love. Nothing boring about love burning in our hearts. Jesus, help us be lit by you. And never go out and light others. Just like the manna that came down from heaven, if we try to keep it, it'll spoil. It's meant to be eaten. It's meant to be used. And so too is this light that he gives to us. But we must lay it all on the altar. A living sacrifice, Paul says. Kind of like the bull, right? It's a living sacrifice. Then sacrifice. A living, walking, dead thing is what he's calling us to be. Dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. And that's why we are to pray in the Spirit, to the Spirit, and for the Spirit to come. Not just to have a title in our life, but instead to have a reality living in us that is not us. That's some crazy news. And yet that is the only thing on the table. Uh, Friends, I I don't know how to say it to you. It's not about believing it in your head and coming to the show on Sunday morning. If that's what Christianity has become for you, I'm asking God to help you to see, to hear, to listen, to obey. We're called to be lit up with Christ's light to light others. The only way to do that is to empty yourself.
and then we can shine like the stars. You can't shine if you're not on fire, right? Stars are all on fire, like the hottest fire that we know about, really. John Wesley said this, I want the whole Christ for my Savior. The whole Bible for my book. The whole church for my fellowship. The whole world for my mission field. I want that. We play with sin. We play around, but this is not a time to play. Not right now. There'll be a time to play. On the other side of the attack, there'll be a time to play, but not right now. We must move forward. Move toward the holy ground and shake the gates of hell. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Nothing to do but save souls. When Hernan Cortez came to the New World, he was apparently a fantastic speaker and could really inspire people with his speeches and words. And they went on this journey with him to the New World for adventure, for discovery, and all those good things that we know about and have read about. And Cortez ended up becoming the first man in 600 years to successfully uh, conquer Mexico. And there were really three words that a lot of people point to that changed this new world. As they marched inland and began to face their enemies, Cortez ordered, burn the boats. Burn the boats. We go on a trip, discover some new land for an adventure, Burn the boats. Not any going back. There's no exit strategy. Burn the boats. There are stories of missionaries going to China and they brought with them their casket. When going back. It's no going back. No exit strategy. But Jesus told them anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9.62 What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means there are no other options. We don't keep other options in our back pocket. We don't keep other contacts in our life. It's only Jesus. And always and forever. With no exit strategy. It's a marriage, not cohabitation. It's for life and not for a season. In triathlons, there's this saying you stop running, you walk. You stop cycling, you coast. You stop swimming, you drown. Can't stop swimming, friends. Don't stop swimming. Don't stop swimming. It's tough, I know. Trust me. I know. Upstream is always tough. But he is with us. God is with us. Don't leave anything for the swim back. There's no going back now. 
We're already in this together. There's no going back now. Let's not do that. Let's not drown in nominalism, but instead let us go to the other side. Make it to the other side. Burn the boats. Leave nothing for the swim back. Go all in. Lay it all on the altar. Who's willing to today? Today is the day of salvation. If that's true, then come. Come and join me as I, for the 4,787th time, lay it all on the altar again and say, Lord, I want to be yours and you mine. Amen.